Let me ask you, just to get started, how much do you listen versus talk in conversations? With friends, with spouse, with significant other, with coworkers? Are you one who overpowers the conversation? And perhaps you're just a natural extrovert and, and, and you need to be able to just have a certain count of words expulsed from uh, inside of you per day. Uh, or perhaps you're the type that uh, just naturally is more quiet, but it ends up in you not being heard. And on the other hand, you need to be more assertive. But the reason why we want to consider this question, this balance of listening versus talking, is because being heard does lead to happiness. Uh, case in point, and I've shared this story before, but it's sort of a classic uh, uh, blip in my life that, that uh, just my relationship with my boy when he was younger and starting uh, to be able to communicate and talk, and I was trying to teach him a golf swing, and, and I didn't realize it, but I was being very controlling and demanding and so forth, and at one point, he just walked away. And there, this, the ego in me, the dad ego, is like, no son of mine is going to just walk away. <laughs> And he had retreated to some steps, and he was sitting there, uh, just his hands, uh, facing his hands, uh, sad, a bit despondent. But then the spirit got the better of me. And instead of just lashing out, I calmed down, and I asked, Christopher, what, what's wrong? And he said, Dad, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. And apparently, as I was being intense and trying to instruct him, he was calling out to me. He was trying to get my attention for a good 10 minutes, and I had not heard him. And so being heard, not only as a child, but uh, maybe a work situation, as you're trying to make a suggestion or proposal to your director, uh, whatnot, just in relationships, being heard certainly leads to uh, a sense of happiness in life. And the opposite is true as well. Being unheard ultimately does lead to unhappiness. Now, just even before we get into Scripture and the Gospel and as a Christ follower, hearing each other and having a, a good, healthy balance of listening and, and talking in our relationships, it's very important because we have the opportunity to give happiness to others as we listen well and we experience happiness on our end when there's that beautiful balance of listening and speaking, we experience happiness when we feel heard. So we want, essentially, to, we want and need to be heard by the people that are most important to us. And so just, you could think through your own list of, of perhaps where you don't feel heard, and most likely, it's because that person plays some important role in your life. Now, let's bring this to a spiritual life, and our life with God. Essentially, in our time, and especially here in Toronto, there's a strong unbelief. And the unbelief specifically is is that we don't believe that God has spoken or that He listens. Many of my friends who reject Jesus Christ and Christianity and then just the whole bag of religion uh, altogether, it boils down to them not believing that God cares. Boiling down to uh, not believing that God loves and that He is involved in this world. Now, I say specifically, and and I frame it as a matter of unbelief, because when you look at the life of Jesus and His interactions with people, and especially His disciples, many, many times it basically just came down to unbelief versus belief. And in some ways, 
Christianity and following Jesus, it's very simple. Do you believe Jesus or not? And that's why Jesus would often complain and chastise His disciples, O you of little faith. So what does Psalm 116 call us to believe? And it's my prayer that today you, you you will identify, the Spirit will show you where you lack belief. You have unbelief in God and certain characteristics and attributes about Him. And that you will, by God's grace, turn that into belief. So what does Psalm 116 call us to believe? The bottom line is this. Have faith. Have faith and the confidence that God mercifully and lovingly hears us. If you held on to this truth every day, every morning, every situation, when something pops up that was unexpected during the day, any anxiety, and and you have this belief anchoring your soul, that God lovingly and mercifully and gladly, gently hears you. How much that would encourage and, and just catalyze our prayer life. Uh, if you the type who appreciates uh, an outline, uh, it's there in the bullets and you can follow along. And so let's unpack in Psalm 116 how we and how the psalmist exhorts us to, to live out this being heard by God. First, remember how the Lord listened in the past. In our culture, and, and just very ubiquitous and prevalent is, is Facebook. And Facebook um, pops up very often, this image that you see on the screen, and it offers memories. And, and Facebook is ingenious because it, it understands how our human hearts work. We're, we're happier when we have good memories when we can look back on pictures and experiences with uh, beloved ones and, and close friends. And so there's something powerful, just, just being human alone, just putting aside even God and Christianity and so forth, just being human, where we're wired up in such a way that good memories, even vivid pictures, and, and being able to tap back into those emotions and thoughts and experiences, it, it can grow happiness in our lives. Now, the psalmist here today, he's no different. And in fact, I think Facebook is on to something because that's how God has created us. And so the psalmist cries out, he bursts out with such a pure worship, a simple, pure, and intimate worship. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Why? Because, and now he's looking to the past, his memory. He has heard my voice, that's past tense, and my pleas for mercy. Now first, to take note, I love the Lord. This expression only happens twice in the Psalms, here and Psalm 18. And so for the psalmist to expose his heart and to express his soul to this depth of intimacy, we need to take note. And while it's rare in the actual Psalms and how, it's, how many times it's expressed, the fact that Psalm 116 and Psalm 18 with this phrase, I love the Lord, is here for us. It gives you and me permission to approach God in this way. To be able to come before God and to be so confident in His love for you. And especially now, because of Jesus Christ, we can cry as as. Scripture exhorts us through Paul 
that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And some people understand that as Daddy, Father. To be that personal with God. And so let me ask, just straight off the bat, do you have that ability? Do you have that confidence in your prayer life to express yourself that personally to God? Do you know that He wants to have that kind of a relationship with you? In verse 2, the psalmist continues, because He inclined His ear to me. Again, looking back on the past, and the psalmist had a keen sense that God inclined. And the word here in the original language, it means to stoop down, to humble oneself and really go low to listen. And therefore, again, he's stating the reason why, because of this wonderful past memory, I will call on Him as long as I live. Now the psalmist, he gives us some clues into his situation in verse 3 begins to unpack, and we don't know the exact details, but, but we know, and in fact I think it's wise that he does this because maybe we're not going through the exact concrete situation as a psalmist, but we certainly all experience similar uh, pangs and, and emotions as we face our own sufferings. And so he says, the snares of death encompassed me. You don't have to be on your deathbed to be feeling the snares of death. Something terrible could happen in your life and you can feel like death is upon you, that you feel like your soul is dying. And so the pangs, the distress of Sheol, and Sheol for uh, the people before Christ was basically represented the afterlife, death, and perhaps heaven or hell, and just all wrapped up together, but basically dying in this life and moving on to the next. And so the anxieties of, of thinking of uh, being near the end of your life And so he says, I suffered distress and anguish. And he's recounting the memory. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And what he remembers is he prayed and called on the name of the Lord that God showed Himself as gracious, as righteous, and merciful. And now he's coming back to the present in verse 6 as he's rejoicing in this beautiful memory and unpacking his statement to God, I love the Lord. Another way he's expressing that, his conclusion in verse 6 is that the Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. And what the psalmist is saying there is this, I came to a fork in the road. Do I choose to believe that God is gracious and merciful and righteous and that He will not overlook me and that He will listen to me, that He even so loving that He inclines, He bows low to hear my cry. He was at that fork in the road and it was just a simple decision. Will I believe or not? And the psalmist chose to believe and then he experienced the Spirit pouring into his soul an assurance that God is for him, that He has a plan for him. And even through the difficult situation that God is unfolding His good plan I love what John Calvin uh, reflects on this psalm. And he says, It is a great thing to say, I love the Lord. For the sweetness of all graces and the surest of all evidences of salvation, of that simple choice to believe in who God says He is, is love. And so again, the question, in your prayer life, in your conversations with God, 
Are you able to cry out, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I hope you can. And if you, if that's not a regular vocabulary, a regular sentence that comes from your soul through your mouth and, and, and throwing those words up to heaven, I encourage you to try it and perhaps to even question what is it about, what, what's my unbelief? Do I believe that God is a certain way that I can't say this to Him? God wants us to know that we are heard and it first comes with remembering in the times past how God has heard us and being able to say, I love you, Lord, as a sure sign of us having experienced this and believing this of Him. Now we'll get to, at the end of the sermon, just how God has most clearly showed us this, how we all have something. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, we all have something in the past that we can look to, to know that God loves us surely and has heard us. We'll get to that. Two then, return every day to rest your soul in the Lord. You need to return to God every day. Every day. Why? Because our souls forget. This is a picture. I don't know if you can see it in the image, if it came out clearly. But this is one of our picture frames at home. And it could have been any of our picture frames. And it's very dusty on the top layer. Now, I was thinking about that. I was reflecting on it. And it's probably because, at least for me personally, I don't look at those pictures every day. They're wonderful images and memories of family and good experiences and loved ones. But we put them up first, and that first time we put them up, they're a wonderful uh, just symbol of, of, of the love in our family and memories. But then we just begin to pass by those pictures every day, don't we? And they begin to collect dust, the, the, the frames. And so I want to just offer that sort of as, as an analogy, the fact that even the good memories and, and the love in our lives, we tend to forget. And we're no different from God in our relationship with God. Our souls forget. Even one day later. In fact, the, the truth is you put a, a bunch of preachers together. They all have preachers. Uh, just, just sadness that my, people never remember what I preached that Sunday. Right? And if I ask you tomorrow or, or a week later, what, did, what, did, what was the sermon last Sunday? We forget. We forget of, about God and His goodness so easily. And there's something about needing to come back and returning uh, to the Lord every day. And so the psalmist says here, return, O my soul, to your rest. And, and the verb there, return, it has that sense of ongoing, continual just returning. That's the sort of the, if, if you love grammar and, and just uh, how language works, that's the sense of the verb there. It says, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. What does the psalmist mean that he's dealt bountifully? That word there, to deal bountifully, it's actually one word in, in the original language, not two. And it means to have paid off, to, to give recompense. And here the psalmist is pointing to some notion that God has paid it all. He's paid it all. He's, he's taking care of your sins. He's taking, don't worry, as, as much as the balance of your life seems skewed, that, you know, God, I'm in the midst of suffering right now. What is going on? Where's the justice? Where the, where's the fairness? God has dealt bountifully. And then he becomes very specific. 
what really matters to him, what really matters how God has dealt bountifully, how God has dealt bountifully with him. In verse 8, for you have delivered my soul from death. What the psalmist cares most about is that his soul has a sense of being cleansed, of being forgiven, of being brought to life. And then from there, I love what he says next, his, his, moral, his spiritual dilemma being taken care of, he also praises God that his eyes have been delivered from tears. That God, so to speak, has wiped away the sorrow and the tears falling from his eyes and his feet from stumbling. And so first, he speaks of praising God, of being saved in a, from an eternal in an eternal scope, his soul being saved from eternal death. But then that playing out in his life, just the daily sorrows that he might be experiencing, his daily choices and walking through his day-to-day, his feet from stumbling, that God has delivered him. And so he says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The uh, picture of the bride and groom you see is very fresh. It's from a reception and a wedding I attended yesterday. And this couple is very special to me, especially the groom, because uh, I mentored him, and he worked under me at my former church. And I was given the privilege to give the prayer of blessing at his wedding. And I found myself literally uh, having to gather myself uh, at the podium and just pause for a good, what felt like an eternity, but it was probably objectively maybe 40 seconds or so, and just being quiet and silent. And I think the... the, uh, congregation was wondering what was going on but it's because I was very emotional because his story and, and to be able to uh, see him again not, I'm not trying to make marriage better than singleness uh, both are beautiful in God's plan but he has come through so much I don't have time to go through his whole testimony and story but I, I know I've, I saw him over seven years go through so much so much pain and agony But what was consistent about him, he lived out verses 7 and 8. He kept returning to the Lord to find rest for his soul. And he had many, even character deficiencies, but returning to Christ in his grace. And, And I've just witnessed him growing through all of that and becoming this wonderfully respectable man of God. And to see him be able to become married and make his vows before the Lord. He lived out where this, from the epicenter, first God delivering his soul from death and then God's grace overflowing to his life. Many times, God wiping the tears from his eyes and his feet from stumbling. And so look at verse 10. The psalmist says, I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. This word believe here, it means basically in the Hebrew to have faith. And one of the most profound, beautiful uh, other instances of this verb is Genesis 15. When God calls Abraham and shows him the lay of the land, and it says that Abraham believed, and God credited that to him as righteousness. God, Abraham had faith. It's the same word. And so what the psalmist is saying here, and this is a beautiful permission for you and me in our prayer life with God, what the psalmist is saying is, God, 
I was being raw and even complaining, grumbling, being angry towards you. I am greatly afflicted. That's why he says, even when I spoke, he filtered nothing from his God and in his prayer time. Even anger towards all those around him. All mankind are liars. But it was juxtaposed. It was simultaneously with him believing, having faith in who God is. That is a wonderful permission for you. That's how we're invited to be heard by God. To come before Him daily. And God's grace is so wide and deep, there's nothing that He will be shocked by, surprised by, as you bear your soul before Him. But follow the footsteps of the psalmist and come by faith, with faith. And even in the midst of all your your complaints and pouring out to God that you would, there would be this undercurrent. I believe that you are still God. You're good. You're in control. You're righteous. You're gracious. You're merciful. Put differently, God is beautifully more gracious, righteous, and merciful than we could ever dare imagine. I put these pictures up here just as another analogy. And, and uh, I'm part of a, a cycling club called Morning Glory. And they leave at 5.40 in the morning before the sun rises. And one uh, just um, ritual for, for the cyclists is as the sun rises, these are all pictures from my buddies in the club. These are not professional photographers. These are just my friends with their cell phone. And as the sun rises, they, part of the, the tradition is, and the reason why they want to be part of this club is to see the sunrise. As far as I know, none of my buddies are, are Christ followers and and yet their hearts are longing to, be, to find rest in, in the beauty that they see. And so every morning, my point is this, they go out not only to exercise, but longing for some therapy and, and, and experiencing this beauty every day going out. But how much more, as we return to God daily, can we experience a greater beauty, the, the beauty of the beautiful one who has created these sunsets, and to be ministered to, to find rest. Third, for experience being heard by God, we need to render our faith. Render our faith in response to the Lord's benefits. The psalmist, he asks then, he, he's, he's overflowing with greatness as he knows he's been heard by God. He's happy in that. And we know he's happy because towards the end of the psalm he says, Praise the Lord. That's how he concludes the psalm. And the mere fact that he says, praise the Lord, that's just a synonym for be happy in the Lord. And so he asks, what shall I render? He has some sense of obligation to pay back. What shall I give back to the Lord for all His benefits to me? And his answer in verse 13 is, I will lift up the cup of salvation. For us in our times, what we... A familiar uh, tradition might be a toast to take a glass or a cup, a goblet, and just to raise it up and to want to bless someone and toast someone. What he's saying here is referring to uh, just the Hebrew temple worship, and I will lift up the cup of salvation, of salvation, and call on the name of the Lord. Now here is something profound, and Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Gave me this wisdom, and the Spirit just 
brought this to life as I was reading his commentary. The only way we can repay God from whom everything comes, it's not by giving something back to God, as if we could ever repay God back for what he's done for us through Christ. That's religiosity. And please don't be fooled by that and trapped in that. The only way we can repay God from whom everything comes is by taking even more from him. And that's why the third point here is to render your faith. We're about to celebrate the table, this covenant that God has made with us through Christ. And if you think about even a toast, it's always the cup is given to you. A cup is given to you, the the drink is poured out to you. And this is how it's meant to be in our walk with Christ. Realizing that God has given to us so bountifully. And the way we will, what can we render to God? How can we pay back? It's not that. The only thing He asks for us is faith. Belief. And as we exercise faith, the Spirit will continue to work in us to produce good works. And any good works that come and overflow from our our spiritual lives It's not us giving back to God. It's it's as we continue to receive and take from God His grace. And and our only action is to respond in faith. And the Spirit produces those good works. So even our good works, it's not so much us giving back to God in payment. But it's because we're taking from God more and more His love and goodness that works itself out through good works. And so that's why in verse 14 and 17 and 18, there's this wonderful language of, I will pay my vows to the Lord. Even for the New Testament Christian, as we celebrate the sacrament at one point in your life, baptism, and now continually through communion, this is our vow. This is how we fulfill our vow. Because our God is covenantal, and as we come before Him, as He's made this covenant with us, as He's made His vow, then our return, the paying of our vows, is to say again by faith, to declare our faith by grace. I believe in you and your love for me. Now, how do we do this? Right in verse 15 and 16, wedged in the last stanza of Psalm 116, is a little clue, a beautiful clue. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. O Lord, I am Your servant. I am Your servant, the son of Your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I really love uh, what one commentator says, William MacDonald, and I agree with him. And he says that this psalm is actually a resurrection psalm. And it's the prayer that Jesus would have prayed after the fact that God rose him from the dead. I invite you to go home and just read through it again on your own through the lens of the resurrected Jesus praying this prayer. And so in short, in verse 15 and 16, we see again another, just as all the Psalms do, they point forward to the servant, the one, the one who desperately longed to be heard by God, by His Father on the cross. And we can have a confidence that we are heard because Christ, at one point on the cross, was not heard. 
the son of your maidservant. This is a reference that Mary, when, when God called Mary and revealed this wonderful truth that she would bear the Son of God, her response was, here I am, your maidservant. So here is this psalm pointing beautifully to the one, the one true servant because of whom you and I can have the confidence that we are indeed heard. And so in our day, there's another kind of cup. Another kind of cup of salvation. Now I want to be clear, when we lift up this cup of communion, just because you drink it doesn't mean you're saved. It's just a symbol. And there's no power in and of it of itself. But it's a beautiful symbol that reminds us of the cup of salvation that Jesus drank. Even as He prayed, take this cup away from me if it's possible, Father. But not my will, but yours be done. 